Lord Jesus, as you spoke over the man who was deaf and mute, be opened. We pray that you would speak the same over us, that our hearts and our minds would be open unto your spirit. And pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. Today is Our Savior Sunday. We're so glad that you all are here. It's our annual fall kickoff Sunday, and we're asking God to bless the teachers and the kids. We've done that uh, between the services. Uh, We've just blessed our new children's chapel space, which is great. We're doing our best to make sure everyone uh, feels connected uh, to fellow members of the church, members of the community, to the scriptures and to the ministry of the church. We hope also that you will join us for lunch uh, after the service. We'll tell you more about that during the announcements. We've got some great things planned for this semester, including Food Truck Fridays with great music on the, on the lawn out here. We have some forums planned for uh, local skeptics just to come and have a safe place. We have a um, blessing of the animals will take place at the 1030 service on September 30th out on the riverbank. So that's going to be... It's new for me anyway. And, um, <laughs> and speaking of animals, we're looking to have a live nativity in, in December. So uh, just a lot going on uh, in uh, this semester. But, you know, as we kick off, uh, it's important not just to remember uh, what we are doing, but also to be reminded of why we do what we do. And, uh, you know, we, the why for our service is, in our ministry is really encapsulated uh, in our vision statement, which I had right up here, last service. Hand me one of those, buddy. Thank you so much. So uh, it's right on the back of your bulletin. If you pick that up, let's say it together. It's our vision statement. Let's read that. Church of our Savior exists to help people wherever they are on their spiritual journey to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we want to be a lighthouse of grace, of eternal hope, uh, right here in our community. We want to see a growing number of people in the South Jacksonville area uh, to come to know Christ and to enjoy that relationship that promises eternal life. We want to serve people right in our community uh, in witness to the love of Christ. In short, we want to help people wherever they are in their spiritual journey to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. Now the question then is, well, how do we do that? Well, we've got this wheel right here. We kind of start with worship, broken people praise, and and when we have that sort of that that praise, we want to get to know the people around us, so we fellowship and grateful people gather, and we study God's Word together, and then we serve those in the community and uh, in the church and then out of the church Christian people go, and it all centers around God's provision of His uh, Spirit, of, of the people that we have, of uh, finances, all that centers around what God provides for us. So that's how we do it, and we've had a couple of um, series in the past couple of years about our vision, kind of going uh, line by line, phrase by phrase, uh, but this year I want to take it a little bit differently, and what I want to do is I want to spend three weeks Uh, with the regularly scheduled lectionary passages from the Epistle of James, uh, which Doc just read for us uh, today. And so with James, we want to think 
deeply about the lives that we live as Christians in this world. We want to think deeply about the lives that we live because, you know, it's impossible to think of us living into our own personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ or to help others live into that relationship with Christ if what we believe doesn't, at least in some sense, match how we live. And that's what James means when he concludes our passage today saying, faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Now, James is not contradicting St. Paul, who made that great statement that we're saved by faith and not by works. James is not adding good works to the salvation equation. Rather, James is saying that saving faith inevitably has hands and feet. Faith that understands one's own desperate need for Jesus, for His grace. Faith which humbly receives and uh, accepts that grace. That there is inevitably an outworking of that grace in our lives. As Christians who trust in Christ's cross and resurrection for our salvation beyond anything that we could begin to hope to deserve, we want to respond to that grace and mercy with lives that honor Him. And we want to, so we want to talk about how that grace works itself out uh, in our lives. But just let's keep it in focus. Grace is always the context. God's initiative love for us. The sacrifice of Christ for us always precedes and empowers the example of Christ through us. Say that again. The sacrifice of Christ for us. The sacrifice of Christ for us always precedes and empowers the example of Christ through us. And yet how we live our lives as Christians is a major part of how we help others, wherever they are in their spiritual journey, to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus will not make a difference to a watching world if it does not appear to them that Jesus has made a difference to us. And so we're going to think about what it looks like for us to take our faith with us into the other six days of our weeks. Right? Because He is with you. He's with you always. And you're with Him always in your home, sitting in traffic, in the checkout line, in the football stands, in the boardroom, in the bedroom, in the classroom. He is with you always. And that is good news. Unless we happen to find ourselves wanting to do something that he doesn't, we don't think He'd want us to do. And then it doesn't feel like such good news. But it is. What does it mean to take your faith with you all the time? So this week we're going to talk about taking it with you into your relationships. And next week we'll talk about taking it with you in your speech. And then finally we'll end up in a couple weeks talking about taking your faith with you in your work and your family. So this week, what does it mean to take it with you into your relationships? Because, you know, relationships... They're complicated, right? I mean, the highest highs that you have ever had almost surely involve people, 
but the lowest lows that you've ever had almost surely involved people. And for some of you, they were the same people. <laughs> and relationships are why I love my job, but relationships are also the hardest part of my job. And it's probably the same for you. I mean, think about families. You know, nobody ever says, you know, I want to get married or I want to have a child so that I can experience some real emotional relational trauma. You know, that... <laughs> But it happens. It happens all the time. I mean, not, maybe not all the time, but a lot of the time. Because relationships are hard. And yet, relationships are a major a part of what God made us for. I mean, if we see someone living their life without other people in their life, we know something's wrong. God himself is innately and inherently relational. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect community with himself and he made us in his image and so we are therefore innately and inherently relational we're made for relationships yet because of the sin in our lives we are inherently self-serving and relationships therefore are hard you have two self-serving people in a relationship that makes them for complication and so as christians who have been brought into relationship with God, not because we're great, but because He is, and not because we're good, but because He is. As Christians who have been brought into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ by His grace, what then are we to bring into our other human relationships? So James begins by imagining really a timeless scenario, right, that, uh, in which we might find ourselves giving preference uh, or deference to a rich person, but not giving the time of day, really, to a poor person. And what James says is that you have made yourself the judge of both of them. Uh, one you have judged worthy of exaltation. The other you have condemned uh, in judgment. And both of those things, based on both the, the quality or the cleanliness of their clothing, and we can all think of times, can't we, that we have judged someone to be unsafe simply because their clothes were dirty or their beard was scraggly. We probably think of times, too, where we have pretended to like someone because they had a powerful title or a big bank account. And it doesn't have to be financial either, does it? Do we have, uh, have we made those same judgments based on political party affiliation? I mean, are they really all the same? Or denomination. There are a lot of blanket statements about the Baptists or the Catholics or the Episcopalians for that matter. I mean, skin color, sexual orientation, those are sort of obvious targets for such judgments. But what about where you live or where you went to school or who your daddy is or what you care passionately about? James diagnoses the problem as one of judgment, but the solution that he gives isn't just simply to stop judging, but it's to start loving. The solution is obey the commandment, says James. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and this is what I think James is on to. Love is other-oriented. It's not about what I get for myself. That's consumerism. But true, godly love is, is other-oriented. Oriented Love doesn't give preference to the rich over the poor. Love gives preference to you over me. Always. 
And so when I'm making distinctions and when I'm making external judgments and giving preference to some while turning my back on others, I'm actually serving myself. I am oriented towards myself. And here's what I mean by that. If I'm giving preference to the rich because they are rich, or if I am turning my back on the poor because they are poor, I'm almost certainly saying I can get something from the rich but not from the poor. The rich person may be useful to me, but the poor person will not be. And it's not simply my delight to honor that person with a good seat. I'm counting on them to remember me down the line, right? to return the favor. And I'm saying that actually the poor doesn't have anything to offer me. They're less than me. And when we do that, we're treating both the rich and the poor, or the liberals and the conservatives, or the gators and the seminoles, I mean, whatever it is for you, we're treating them as commodities and not as people who are created in the image of God. And James wants us to move from judging to loving. Not from using good judgment, that's a different thing but from judging to loving because faith creates good works. Mercy triumphs over judgment, he says. Because here's the thing. Jesus doesn't love you because you're one of the good ones. He came to save you and me because there aren't any good ones. He didn't give us what we deserved. He gave us mercy. And so as those who have received mercy, who have received grace, received love that we did not deserve, how now can we take the gospel of God's grace to you into your relationships? Is the way that you were treated by Christ shaping the way that you treat others? Are you a giver of that grace? You know, we start uh, premarital counseling. It's one of my favorite things about my job. Mar- you know, weddings, you can take them or leave them, but premarital counseling is great. And um, I'm just kidding. And um, sort of. And uh, we start uh, premarital counseling with the gospel. That Jesus loves us when we didn't deserve it because it is both the model and the source for how we treat each other. It's the model and the source for how we treat each other. We love those who do not deserve it, especially when they do not deserve it, because He loved us when we did not deserve it. Or you might say it like this, we don't love based on what is deserved. We love sacrificially because we have been loved by Jesus Christ sacrificially. And that's easy to say. It's a lot harder to do, isn't it? Is the way that you are treated by Christ shaping the way that you treat others. I heard a preacher just this week say, we, the way that we reach the nations is by reaching our neighbors. You know, just think of not just your spouse and your kids, which may be enough, but think about your coworkers. Think of the waitress at brunch, well, not today at brunch because you're coming to lunch here, but next, next week, the cashier at the grocery store, The guy who cuts your lawn, your irritating neighbor, is the way that we have been treated by Christ shaping the way that we treat other people. 
Let me just finish with a story. I, I think I've told the story one time at a Riverbank service. Uh, before I went to seminary, I, I worked for the YMCA uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. It was in downtown Raleigh. It was the YMCA that Barney Fife talked about when he said, I'm going down to Raleigh to, and staying at the YMCA. That's where I worked. And when I was there, they don't have it anymore, but they, when I worked there, they still had a dormitory. And it was all kinds of crazy. I mean, it was just, it was, there was always something to talk about, about the residents. Uh, and there's especially this one guy that I remember, and his name was Maurice. And Maurice uh, was this African-American fella, uh, tall, good-looking guy. He had been an All-American basketball player at Duke, was the story I got until he got into drugs and it messed with his nervous system. And he was shaking all over. He couldn't you know, really hold a job because he just he couldn't move right. And he walked with crutches and he couldn't talk right. And We also had this cafe in the, uh, in the YMCA uh, so that after your workout, you could go get a burger and fries to, to burn off your workout. And, um, <laughs> and so this, uh, these, there were these young, upwardly mobile guys. They had finished their basketball game, and they went to the cafe, and they ordered their burger or sandwich or whatever. And the guy grabbed his wallet and, and didn't have his wallet. And he asked for it. His friends, his friends didn't have any extra money, and he hears this. He was like, what am I going to do? And he hears this, um, uh, this voice behind him saying, here you go, buddy. And he turns around, and there's Maurice with dollars in his hand offering to buy his lunch. And he didn't really know what to do, and he, he, you know, he just said, no, that's all right, man. You keep that money. I'll figure something else out. Because it really felt to him like he was the, if anything, he was the one who ought to be given the money. He felt like Maurice needed that worse than he did. And Maurice said, I have to, buddy, I'm a Christian. And that young man was left with a choice in that moment, wasn't he? Was he going to be the winner? Or was he going to be someone who needed help? Was he going to be proud of himself? Or was he going to humble himself to receive that charity from an unexpected place? Well, he took the money. And he thanked Maurice. And then he talked to his friends later about how his life really had been changed by that simple exchange. Because in that moment, this well-educated, well resourced, young, upwardly mobile young man became poor and blessed. What he had trusted in for his security and his identity was exposed in an instant. And for that brief moment, he was left with only his own need. And he received charity from an unexpected place. Just like you and I have received grace from a dying and crucified Savior. Most unexpected. In that moment, Maurice was taking his faith with him. And in fact, so was the young man after a moment of hesitation. So is the way that you have been treated by Christ shaping the way that you treat others? whether they're strangers like Maurice and this young man, or whether they're your neighbors, 
or your family or your co-workers or your garbage man? Is the way that you are treated by Christ shaping the way that you treat others? Because actually, we exist to help people wherever they are in their spiritual journey to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen.